0: CHAPTER ONE It's Christmas Eve, 1967. A Saturday, four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm waiting for Mike. Mrs. Kenny's large flat in Hamlet Gardens, Hammersmith, is empty except for me, cocooned in the room I rent at the elbow of the L-shaped passage. I'm seventeen years old, a shelf-stacker at Anthony Jackson's supermarket on the Upper Richmond Road in East Sheen. A temporary measure, I tell myself, to fill the interval between school and rock stardom. Ahead lies 1968, plump with promise. I'm convinced that for the band I'm with, the in-betweens, this will be the year we hit the big time. What actually lay ahead in 1968 was the end of my nascent music career. Marriage, fatherhood, a new job as a postman and a return to my home turf, London West 10. Anthony Jackson's had closed that lunchtime. Johnny Ferrugia, its larger-than-life Maltese manager, had taken his devoted staff, Kath, Sandra and me, to the pub opposite for a Christmas drink. The store was more of a self-service corner shop than a fully-fledged supermarket, but its single cash register had been ringing almost permanently throughout the Christmas period. We'd worked hard, and our boss wanted to show his appreciation. I explained that I had to be home by 3.30pm because Mike, my brother-in-law, was picking me up in his Rover 110 to drive me to Watford, where I was to spend Christmas with him, my sister Linda and my four-month-old niece. Johnny Ferrugia fussed over us in the pub, insisting on buying all the drinks. After clinking our glasses in a Christmas toast, he distributed our presents. Hard work is all I asking, he announced in the English that remained eccentric after fifteen years in the country he adored. You fucking Brits, you done desert this country. Always you moan, you done appreciate what you got. I knew what my present was as soon as I saw the shape of the package. Johnny was well aware that I idolised the Beatles. He'd heard me wax lyrical about Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, the album that had astounded and delighted the world on its release in June becoming the soundtrack to the Summer of Love. And we'd stood together in the warehouse at the back of the store, like mourners at a funeral, as a day in the life, the final song on the album, wafted its beauty from the big blue portable radio. During the year, the pirate stations, that had been our only source of continuous pop, had been outlawed by an act of parliament, and Radio One had been launched by the BBC to replace them. In a final act of defiance, Radio Caroline had gone off the air to the strains of this track, which had been banned by the BBC, on the grounds that it glorified the drug LSD. Poor old Auntie apparently had no such reservations about another number from the album, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which they happily and unsuspectingly played. The highlight of the three-channel television schedules that Christmas was to be the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour film on Boxing Day, the soundtrack for which had been released as a six-track extended play disc. My magical mystery Christmas present had cost Johnny Ferrugia 19 shillings and sixpence. I knew that because the Fab Four had insisted that the record must be sold for under a quid. The band always showed huge consideration for their fans, rarely lifting singles, or even b-sides from their albums, printing the lyrics on their LP sleeves, commonplace now but unheard of prior to Sgt Pepper, and demanding that the prices of their masterpieces be kept as low as possible. Now, a few hours after that Christmas drink, I sat in the fusty, damask comfort of my room, waiting for Mike. Mike Whittaker. Dear Mike, he'd been a hero to me from the moment we met and my brother-in-law since he'd married Linda in September 1966. Mike had come into our lives just as my mother's heart condition worsened and entered its final phase. It was he who quietly and solidly supported Linda and me through our mother's last illness and her death. He who had paid for the rosebush and a little plaque marking the spot in Kensal Green Cemetery where her ashes were scattered. Lillian May Johnson Born 11th of May 1921, died 4th of March 1964.